Thank you, Josh. It all starts with a step, so you never know until you, until you take that first step what, uh, what that journey is going to look like. So I'm sure he thought that when he like, got in his car to drive here this morning. <laughs> How bad is this going to get? But uh, we're glad that you braved it to be here, man. Uh, so glad to have you with us. Uh, my name is Rich Doring. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you've not seen me this morning, I'm trying to do what I did a couple weeks ago. I've had some symptoms, and so I've really kind of laid low the last few days and tried to this morning, too, and follow my own advice to you that if you have symptoms, don't show up. Uh, I've tested in five different tests over the last three days negative, so just kind of trying to cover all my bases, but I appreciate uh, your patience in that, and I appreciate uh, your willingness to, to continue to look out for each other and to serve each other in that way, and thanks for braving the snow and being here. Uh, this morning. Just a couple things really quick before we jump in. And the first is this. I know uh, we've talked about this already, date night. I want to encourage you to see Chandra out in the foyer. Uh, this is a, a great opportunity. It's a fun, fun experience. And share that with other people's, peoples. It's, uh, it's on the Facebooks. And uh, make sure you share that and invite uh, as many people for that as you can. But uh, the other thing I want to talk to you about really quick is what you see on the screen next. Uh, this is where we're going starting next week, and this is all a part of our focus this year about what it means to be one, what it means to be biblically unified as the church, and uh, continue to kind of lay some of these foundations. And I want to make sure you know where we're going over the next four or five weeks, and uh, we're going into this series called Let's Talk. And, uh, and if you read that up there, you can see uh, actually next week we start with politics, then immigration and race and human sexuality. The last week that's not up there, you don't see it, is love, perfect love. What does that look like? But uh, I wanted to share that with you so you knew uh, kind of what direction we're taking on these different things. Immediately, uh, the radar goes up, red flags get thrown. Uh, this is not about me like pontificating about different things. This, Honestly, the whole thing is about how we talk about these things, because how we talk about these things sometimes even matters more sometimes than what you particularly believe about certain things. Uh, we have a responsibility, we've been talking about that over these few weeks, of posturing ourselves as the body of Christ, as people who are unifiers and don't add to the division that's already existing in our world. And so these topics that come up, we're going to talk about them a little bit. But, but ultimately, we're going to talk about how we talk about those things as be kind of, kind of a beginning step. Sound fun? You can ask me after the fourth week if I think it's fun anymore. But uh, yeah, so there we go. All right. Uh, again, we're doing all this as part of this annual focus. So in a world fixed on division, how do we posture ourselves differently? What does it mean for us? Real life community church to operate in such a way that we don't add to the division that's in the world. And if you're just joining us, uh, I really want to encourage you to go back to January 2nd and, and catch up a little, particularly because of where we're going next week, but to, to just kind of catch up. And we, we've jumped into, with the Apostle Paul, uh, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. He wrote that uh, to, to Christians in a place called Ephesus who are really struggling to live out their walk with Christ as one. There were different groups in the church, Jews and Gentiles. They didn't see eye to eye on things. Then there were false teachers that kind of came in the side door. I mean, they were just kind of all over the map. And so Paul in chapters one through three, he kind of tells them, hey, you got something pretty significant in common. 
grace through Jesus Christ. You guys have all received this one hope and this one faith and this one, this one Savior. And it, it's an amazing thing. You've got this grace. Now, in chapter 4, he turns a little bit and says, here's how you live that out now, together, as one. And so, um, ultimately, he's telling a church how to respond to this universal call. We talked about that in the first message in Ephesians 4, this call. You and I, we are one when as individual believers, we live out the reality of the work of Jesus in our lives. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he talks about Paul saying, listen, you need to walk worthy of the call that you've received. The call that we have received is forgiveness in Jesus Christ, grace, mercy. We, we, we have been redeemed through Jesus Christ. And he's saying now, your life should be lived in balance of that truth. Okay? Your life experience, the way you live your life, the things you say ought to be worthy Okay? They ought to live on that axis, so to speak, that balance of the reality of what you've received. If, if this is amazing and the thing we just all sang about this morning, uh, if, if this is true for you, our lives begin to reflect that. So he says, walk worthy of the call, the call. And then when a church is full of individuals seeking to live like that, all of a sudden oneness begins to be experienced. And then last week we talked about pursuing one character, one character as a church. You and I are one, we are one, when a character of Christ-likeness is being formed in us. When we start to look and sound and live more like Jesus, when his character begins to come through. The Ephesians had pursued things, I said this earlier, that didn't provide nourishment to mature in Christ. Like I said, there were false teachers that came in. There was all kinds of different things going on. The result was, and, and Paul does this amazing thing as you read chapter 4, he uses the illustration of the body, and he says, listen, those underdeveloped, immature parts, there's, the body's not functioning right, okay? I mean, if, if we are going to begin training for a marathon, listen, the very first couple times you decide you're going to run for the first time, you realize which parts of your body are not mature yet, <laughs> Because your body tells you which ones aren't mature yet. And so you begin to develop, you begin to grow, and pretty soon, all of a sudden, then the parts of the body start to function well with one another. In the Ephesians church, there was a disconnect. The connections weren't there. They were, they were chasing after different things, and because they were chasing after different things, and many of them were chasing after the wrong thing, they were underdeveloped in multiple areas, and the body was not functioning properly. And when the body's not functioning properly, there's a lack of unity. Divided, we fall, okay? The result is not functioning as one. Now, before we jump in, I just want to reiterate why what we're doing, and you can pray for the next four weeks. That'd, that'd be good. I know that there's probably a question of why. Why? As you walked in today, there's all kinds of scripture now in our foyer. All those little circle decals that are all over the wall. I wonder if you've stopped to look at any of those, particularly the big one, the big one. I want to reiterate why we're doing what we're doing as a church. You'll see it on the screens, John 17, verses 20 through 23. This is Jesus praying. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, 
just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then there it is. Then the world will know. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus, when he said that and prayed that, he knew the kind of world that the disciples were going to find themselves in. He was about to be led away and be crucified. He was about to die. He was about to be resurrected. He'd be with the disciples for a little while longer, but then he'd be gone. He would send another just like him, the Holy Spirit, but he knew full well the world that the disciples would find themselves in. They lived in an empire, essentially, an empire, and that empire that they lived in, the Roman Empire, was built on division, dividing things up and conquering it. It was built on division, and without division, the structures of that empire would not exist. It's not completely different than the world we live in today, where our success is contingent upon the vilification of some other side. And there's those divisions that begin to, to emerge. And the Romans had this built-in advantage in Jesus' day. The religious people who were there had already divided people up for them. They'd already done the dirty work. Do you and I, as religious people, do the same? Do we categorize people? Do we divide people up? And it's good to be reminded that the Jesus that we're talking about here, he's a savior who had no problem talking about the last being first, uh, laying down your life for the sake of others, healing the hurting, caring for the poor, elevating the voice of the marginalized. Uh, Jesus did not build nations. We talked about that on January 2nd. Jesus didn't build nations. He built tables. He was a carpenter. He built a, a community of foot washers and peacemakers and cheek turners, these subversive people who didn't look like, sound like, or embody the division of the world that they found themselves in. They didn't look like it. And that was the point. That's the same world we find ourselves in today as followers of the way as followers of Jesus. Now, unfortunately, sometimes what is more often seen and experienced when it comes to the church by the world around us is not different than the world around us. And our primary sources of formation today tend to be the preferred media outlets that we choose, politicians who shape not only how we view people outside the church, but ultimately, sometimes, view how we view one another in the church. That's our formation. And divided we fall. There's a guy named Ed Stetzer. Uh, he's at Wheaton in, uh, in Chicago, Wheaton, Wheaton College. He's the author of a book called Christians in an Age of Outrage. You've seen that probably if you pick up your weekly every week as a resource that I list every once in a while. But uh, he, he made this suggestion. He said, if cable news is keeping you from unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, turn it off, unplug it, unsubscribe from it, and prioritize your church over cable. Is that a big ask? 
Now, that's a pretty simplistic statement, okay? But truthfully, what does it look like to be a church that is different? Uh, And I think as we've gone through Ephesians chapter 4, it finally leads to this culmination. Yes, there's a call. Yes, there's a character. But ultimately, what that produces then is a culture. A culture. We are one, as real life, we are one when short accounts are the rule and not the exception. Now, I'm going to explain that. When short accounts are the rule not the exception. So these messages that we've been doing, you're probably like, man, we're going to talk about this again, Rich? Seriously? I mean, by the time we get like four or five months into this whole one thing, you're like, whose bright idea was it to pick an annual theme? We are so tired of hearing about all this stuff over and over and over again. Listen, I've been your pastor for one year. It's now time to begin to lay some foundational stuff, some tracks down, okay? And these are what I would call maintenance messages, these are us just kind of returning some, to some, some really foundational things that we can put our finger on and say, this is who we are. This is how we operate. This is why we do the things that we do. So these are, these are a little bit more maintenance. Uh, short accounts, this idea of short accounts is a concept that I introduced to you standing on this platform almost exactly a year ago being installed as your pastor. The idea of short accounts. And so let's define a couple of things really quick. Culture. The dictionary simply defines culture as a way of thinking, behaving, or working that exists in a place or an organization. That's what a culture is. And you're going to find different cultures in all kinds of different things, including in the church. In businesses, there's a culture in your home. There's, there's culture everywhere you go. Uh, and the best way to understand what Paul is describing in our passage is in our passage for today is a culture of short accounts. So I'm going to read for you Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. You'll see it on the screen there. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Therefore, because we've been made new in Christ, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only as what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Keeping short accounts means not letting differences or divisions grow to the point where relationally and spiritually there's a breakdown. And Paul does this interesting thing in this section of Scripture. He lays out what that looks like. He explains how that appears. You exchange lies for truth. That's what he's talking about, exchanging lies for truth, releasing anger for peace, forsaking selfishness for generosity, dropping the chatter for encouragement, 
and releasing resentment and forgive. Exchange lies for truth, release anger for peace, forsake selfishness for generosity, drop the chatter for encouragement, and release resentment and forgive. I just want to selfishly say to you, I want to be a part of a culture that looks like that. Don't you? I mean, I, I want to be a part of a culture like that. I'm going to go on a limb, and I think that our world, as divided as it is, angry and resentful and hateful and vengeful as our world can be, I think our world actually wants that too. They just don't know where to find it. Doesn't it make sense that the people who do should show them? Should show them. Do we as a church model this? Do the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, as Psalm 1914 say, do those things glorify and honor the person we put our faith in, Jesus Christ? What about our posts? What about our texts, our chatter, our conversations with one another? The lenses and filters, maybe, that we look through to view other people. The labels we apply to people who don't look like us and act like us and vote like us and live like we do. Is it reflected in all those things? Are we keeping short accounts with one another? I'm a question person, so I got more. Are you ready? Do we have a culture? Honestly, I mean, we have to start asking these questions. Do we have a culture as real life where truth permeates our conversations and not innuendos? Or are we always looking for how we might be slighted or we might be offended by something? Or do we have a culture where if there's a legitimate grievance, forgiveness is sought and offered quickly, freely, where instead of talking about other people, we talk to other people, the people. Let me say that again because I think it's really smart. Do we drop the chatter and replace it with encouragement? Are we talking about people or are we talking to them? To them. Fostering and understanding health. Are we reconciling our accounts? Or is the ledger growing to the point where reconciling that between people is so far that we don't know how how to reconcile that account anymore? As your pastor for a year, I just want to tell you how proud I am of those of you who who do the hard work of what we're talking about here. And it's not easy. It's hard. Uh, The people who model what real life looks like, who don't engage in picking and tearing apart, but instead invest that energy and capital into the hard work of those face-to-face conversations in prayer. Uh, You encourage me. You remind me that the church really is God's plan A for the redemption of the world. (laughs) There's no plan B. Uh, We're plan A. So I just want to thank you for not just being real life, but for representing what real life looks like well. Real life in Christ. So thank you for keeping short accounts. That said, in, in my year as your pastor as well, I am not sure that there's ever been a time where I've, in the last year, never not been doing premarital counseling. Now, it was like a total left turn right there, okay? I'm not complaining. Uh, Premarital counseling is something that I enjoy to do. 
uh, but literally since day one. I've been doing premarital counseling. I could meet with somebody every single week, and that's really cool. So if you're in it or you've been through it or you might be going through premarital counseling, I don't want you to hear that I don't enjoy it. Uh, I just, there's just a reality that right now I feel like I do a lot of premarital counseling. Now, if you've been in premarital counseling with me, you probably are starting to figure out something I'm about to say. I'm, I'm weird, and I'm not a good counselor because I talk way too much. And in the midst of premarital counseling, there is always a topic that comes up that reveals my compulsions and reveals my obsessions and some stuff like that. And it has to do with finances. It has to do with finances. And, and ultimately, at some point, I whip out this giant, big, black budget book. It's my other Bible, okay? And, and it exists for a very specific reason. So what we do is we go through, hey, have you built a budget? Let me show you how. Let's talk about making sure you know how to keep track of different things, build some things for the future so that you can plan ahead. All this, how do you reconcile all these different things? And I have that giant budget book for a reason. One of those is some past family experiences and just kind of watching that play out and not wanting to see that happen again. But honestly, I was just going to be completely honest with you. I am OCD when it comes to budgeting and finances like that for a reason. I highly value sleep. I do. About two years into our marriage, I discovered that I sleep better when financially we have short accounts. That's just how it works. So I came up with a plan. I'm like, I got to sleep. I like to sleep. And so I'm coming up with a plan. Two times a month, I sit down, I reconcile everything, pay all the bills, deal with everything. Two times a month, everything is reconciled. Literally every single penny is accounted for. Our plan doing that has enabled us to get out of debt. That includes when we made like 250, 300 bucks a week. Um, and, you know, it's enabled us to buy a home, to help with college, visit family, give generously serve in other countries. I mean, we, we've been able to do a lot, but it all comes down to the fact that we were willing to create a plan and work a plan. But I just want to be honest. The best part of it is the sleep. It's the sleep. Uh, not laying in bed at night, stewing over some unpaid bill, or I know that this is coming and I've not planned for it. How am I going to do this? Or this credit card statement that came that's larger than I planned for, or that check, is that going to clear before I make that deposit and, and all that kind of different stuff? Staring at the ceiling night after night as that ledger just gets longer and longer and longer. And I don't have a plan for reconciling how it's going to be remedied and for shortening those accounts. Have you ever laid in bed because the ledger in your life with another human being keeps getting longer? And it's either something you've said or done or something they've said or done. And so it's either resentment or guilt. There's just this overwhelming ache and weight of knowing that you've got an extended account out there with somebody. And it's robbing you of peace. It's robbing you of peace. Do you not see that in the world that we live in today? Where people willingly extend their accounts with so many people. The things that they say, the things that they do, the way they treat other people. In fact, 
The difference between us and the world is the world really doesn't have a plan to reconcile. That's not their inclination. It's not advantageous for the world to reconcile because if I can nurture enough division and extend that account so much, it makes the people on my side pretty happy. In fact, if I actually crossed the bridge and began to reconcile with my opposition or my enemies, my people would call me a sellout. So those divisions are pretty handy for building up my base. That's how the world works. We've been conditioned, listen, discipled, that even the words that are coming out of my mouth right now are not always necessarily run through the filter of the word of God, but through a political position or a platform. The likeness for unity in those situations becomes really bleak. Doesn't matter what camp you fall in, people relate to one another in rhetoric and one-liners and labels. We've been conditioned. No different than how the rest of the world processes truth. Real life, are we providing an alternative culture by the way we live our lives and the way we speak? In a world that platforms lies, slander, name-calling, selfishness, maligning other people? Does the world hear and see the same thing through people who say they love Jesus? Because if they do, it's a disconnect. It's a disconnect. What is our culture real life? I mean, you literally didn't think that I moved here to like not ask the hard questions, right? May I be so bold as to say that our culture, real life, is short accounts. And I want to show you how this is possible this morning, just briefly, as we kind of set the stage for where we go from here. If you've never done a study in the book of Ephesians, I would really encourage you to do that. Maybe grab a couple other people. In your weekly, I think I put a, another resource. It's just simply called Ephesians. And it's a, it's a commentary by a guy named N.T. Wright, Tom Wright. And it's absolutely fabulous. I'd encourage you to sit down. Do your own study of the book of Ephesians. But at first glance, the behaviors that Paul talks about here in our passage, they feel like a list of do's and don'ts, okay? Because that's just how our brains operate. This is a list of things I should be doing, things I should not be doing. And then once I keep that list, I must be doing okay. But it's not a prescription for behavior. It's a description. It's not a prescription it's a description of what actual unity looks like. That's what he's doing. He's painting for them this incredible picture, a description. It's a church that operates in a, as one in this world as it's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. Paul brings it down, again, into the real life of relationships. He lays out these contrasts. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Don't sin in your anger. Reconcile. Don't be selfish. Give. Don't talk about people. Talk to them. Don't nurse bitterness. Quickly forgive. He's extending an invitation to them to leave behind the old divisive way of life and live into the citizenship of a different kingdom, a different kingdom, one that's marked by the character of Jesus. And it shouldn't be a surprise but the avenue, the vehicle that Paul uses to describe this is relationships, how we interact with one another. 
I know probably every single generation says this, but there's probably not a more timely moment for the church of Jesus Christ than right now. I think the older you get, the more aware of the world and the way the world works you become. I'm not, I'm, when I was 17, you know, I just thought about girls. I mean, I, but now, you know, I, I, I think about how the world functions and how the world operates. I'm, I'm more in tune and pay more attention to what's going on around me. And uh, never in 47 years have I seen the divisions in our world so great. So great. It's a culture, honestly, that prides itself on baited speech. Uh, rewards meanness. I mean, we, we live in a culture that rewards bad behavior from leaders. Resentment, retribution against the other side. This idea of oneness for the church stands in complete contrast to the rest of the world. Imagine a, a, a church, a people, who outright reject the cultural invitation to join in the vitriol, but instead embrace kindness and forgiveness and generosity. So let's be real, real life. Interpersonal tension is just a reality. You stick two people in a room, I mean, how many of you who are married got married and you've never disagreed about anything, okay? We understand human, like, life, right? You stick a couple people in the room, they may act all lovey-dovey for a little bit, but at some point, somebody's breath's going to stink, some, something's going to happen, okay? That's just the nature of, of life. It's given whenever people are involved. It happens in businesses, families, homes. It happens in churches. It happens in churches. The bigger issue is that when it does... How do you handle it? How do you handle it when those things do come up? At Real Life Community Church, we are not followers of Jesus who keep backlogs of sin on people. We do not do that. Of sin, guilt, resentment, we do not keep backlogs. We do not let that ledger grow. Real lifers confess our sins and we forgive one another so that we do not have division, so that we are one, so that the world might know God sent his son. That's why we do what we do. And maybe right now as we're talking about this, you realize that there's some forgiveness that you need to offer to somebody in the church. You might be sitting here thinking, I have a, an account that's running out there with somebody else in this church. And you might realize it's time to have that sit down and talk about what, it, what does it mean to reconcile that account. It doesn't mean things will look the way they used to or, or whatever the case is. But as you're sitting here today, my heart hurts for you because I know that the peace that gets robbed when you see that person and you're reminded. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like when you, when you see that person and you realize they're a little bit further than they were the day before away from you because there's this unreconciled account that is growing. Can I tell you, 
Once you let one account grow, it is not hard to let other ones grow too. Keep short accounts. Now, <laughs> some accounts you just need to stop paying into as well. And this is kind of my routine thing I keep bringing up. If, if that account is there because of abuse, just close that account. Okay? That's not one you need to be paying. Forgive, seek, you know, to do the things that you need to do to be healthy and one with Christ and one with others. But this isn't about subjecting yourself to abuse. This isn't, you know, if, if, if somebody says they're sorry, but then they keep smacking you around, they're not sorry. Okay? If I could just be blunt. So that's not what we're talking about here. But what we are talking about is maybe something was said, something was done, maybe there's a misunderstanding. Whatever the case is, it just keeps unraveling and going further and further. Imagine how it would honor God and how it would restore peace in your own heart if you just had to sit down. This is hard. It's not easy. I'm not sure we were called to do the easy. It's not what we signed up for. How do we know that this is all possible? This originates somewhere. It's possible because it doesn't start with us. In Ephesians 4.32, the last verse says it all. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He's the source. He's the source of the ability to do this. Listen, the word Christian means little Christ. Little Christ. And as you and I move further in walking worthy of our call, living into the character of Christ, we want to look more like Jesus every day. And we do that knowing a few things. Here's one. Judas. Judas ate too. I want you to think about this for a second. I think about that scene at the Last Supper all the time. Jesus washed all the disciples' feet, and that included Judas, knowing full well that everything had been put in motion in the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. And yet he still washed his feet, and he still broke bread with Judas. Listen, and this is the, this is the hard stuff. If Jesus can wash Judas' feet, we can nurture in this church and live out a culture of short accounts. It's possible. It is an action and a culture and a character and a calling that is completely countercultural to the world that we live in. And that is the point. That's the point. If that is not what is coming from you, and it's not what is coming from us, what do we need to do? This has been heavy. I promise you I will make some goofy jokes next week because we're going to be talking about politics. It's going to be awkward. And the one thing that you can guarantee for me is that I will at some point make things awkward but also try to lighten the mood just a little bit. This is heavy. And it's heavy for a reason. Foundational things usually are. But I'm so excited about what I see and what I know of who we are already. And these are really just maintenance messages. These are good reminders. But maybe today, God has pricked your heart just a little bit, and, and I just want to encourage you to allow Christ to form in you, and thus, in us, 
this idea that what comes out is not the old, but it's the new. In our interactions with each other, in our interactions with the world that we find ourselves in, we need to honor him. We need to honor him. I'm going to ask Zach and Tree if they would come. They're going to sing uh, for us here. I'm going to pray, and then uh, I'm going to come back up and, and close out the service. But uh, as we prepare to sing, let me, let me pray for us. Father, right now I just want to come before you and, and admit to you that I need to be reminded at times that uh, if I've got short accounts, that I need to have those hard conversations. And again, I'm just reminded that uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Father came to us. You sought to sit down. You took the first step in reaching out to us. And if if I claim Jesus Christ in my life, if I claim forgiveness of sin and I, I want to walk worthy of the call of Jesus in my life and I, I want to have the character of Jesus Christ in my life and be a part of a culture, Father, of a body of Christ that does this and does this well, I just know that at, at some point I'm going to have to be the one take the first step, just like Jesus took the first step into my life. So, Father, if I claim all those, the first step is mine to take. So, Father, just like the psalmist David, would you show me my heart? Would you reveal to me if there's any way? Not only that's in contrast to you, but maybe in contrast to anybody else. Is there an apology that I need to offer? Is there forgiveness that I need to give? Is there chatter and talk that I I engage in right now that is not productive for the kingdom? It's not a source of encouragement for the hearer. Father, is there any way in me? I pray that what would come out of my life is fresh. What comes out of my life is new and representative of the new thing that you're doing in me today. That you're doing, Father, in us. Father, may what comes out of us truly represent real life, real life in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and and join together?
you uh, we've been doing something uh, during this series and I put this together for a reason because I, I do think that there are times when if you're gonna be something you need to say that you're gonna be something if you're gonna do something you need to say you're gonna do something even if it's aspirational in nature uh, in, in almost kind of a prophetic way I think we we have the ability to declare who we are and who we will be as a body of Christ together. And so you'll see words on the screen. I'm going to ask you if you would, would you say these out loud with me today, kind of as a benediction, but more as a declaration of who we are and who God is forming us as the body of Christ to be. Would you join me in this? May the bond of peace of Jesus Christ go with us as we seek to love God as one. May he guide us in humility, gentleness, and patience as we love people as we have been loved. May the compassion of Jesus Christ be in us as we serve the world in word and deed. May he bring us together again, rejoicing as his children as we live in real life with Christ. Amen. You guys doing okay? I'm going to pander just a little bit. Are you doing okay? <laughs> I just want to make sure. Because <laughs> uh, I know sometimes, and, and I tell you what, if you were in our staff meetings on a weekly basis, we have this thing now where they've talked about putting a jar out that every single time that Rich apologizes or says, I'm sorry, I have to put a dollar in. And I, I do that for a reason. I have a real hard time preaching something I don't put into practice. And my intention is to keep short accounts with every single person on this planet. <laughs> as as, as in, humanly and divinely as in me as possible. I want to make sure that there are no unresolved issues between me and anybody else. I know what it feels like. And I want to make sure like the people I work with on a daily basis as a staff, I'll probably do it again tomorrow. I'll show up, hey guys, sorry I went a little long. Sorry this, sorry that. And like, Start putting the money in, Rich. We're going to go out to lunch, you know, or something. But I just want you to know I believe in you. I believe in us. I'm so excited. I am so pumped about how God is working in you and in us and the things God has planned for all of us. And so thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being real life. And I'm going to stop talking now and go get some coffee. So you should get some too. And sign up for the date night. All right? Hey, God bless you. Thank you for being here this week. God bless.